0: Hey, thanks for listening to the Grace Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on Grace Church, visit us at gracemc.org. Well, good morning, everybody. So I'm going to take you back to June of 1984. I had just graduated from high school, and I had a life-changing experience. I went to the eye doctor and realized I could not see As soon as they put you through the test of kind of doing the numbers or I should say the letters and all those kind of things, I had this like enlightening moment of realizing that I had been missing out on a lot of the world for I don't know how long and didn't even know it. That, That was kind of the era when contact lenses were like brand new and kind of not really the norm. So I walked out with these giant brown framed glasses that ironically are back in style now. But I went to baseball practice the next day with my glasses on and I could actually see the ball. So that was a game changer for me. When I got the glasses, I was able to see things that I didn't even know were there in a more clear way. And as we're talking about the subject today with the neutral zone, a lot of what we're talking about here is being able to see things in the midst of things. So to start out this morning, I just want to invite you to kind of a fun little exercise. So if you're sitting next to somebody, you can kind of play along with this. Check out the screen. What do you see? Raise your hand if you see a rabbit or a duck or probably both, right? Yeah. Okay. How about the next one? Do you see a young lady looking off into the distance or an older lady looking down? or both. This one's fairly common. A lot of us have seen this one, and some of you are still stuck on this, like, I don't really see either of those. The next picture, just for time's sake, how many legs does this elephant have? Yeah, this one will mess with you for a little while. It's somewhere between three and five or something. Who knows? Uh, this next, next picture, do you see the giraffe? How many of you see the giraffe right away? Yep. He's back there on the, on the right side, just staring at us. The next one is a little trickier. Some of you have may have seen this, but can you find the hidden tiger? Can you find the hidden tiger? Anybody have the hidden tiger? Yep. I think this is a smart section over here today. Okay, so if you look closely, the hidden tiger is actually on the tiger in its stripes. So it says the right after his neck, (laughs) hidden tiger down the back leg. You see that? All right, I think there's maybe one more here. Can you see the hidden baby? All right, look closely. There is a baby in this picture. All right, we're going to help you out. So next slide, this is the hidden baby. If you look closely, you can see the feet on the right. You can see the head on the left in the fetal position. Everybody seeing that? And then when you go back to the the next slide, you go back to it, and it's like that's all you see, right? Once you see it, you can't unsee it. The glasses that we wear determine what we see. And perhaps there's no more important season that we go through when we talk about this idea of a neutral zone, the importance of having glasses to see what's behind the thing that we see. And this morning, that's kind of our theme. I think God wants us to have kingdom-focused lenses that we see life with. And if you don't have God's glasses in life, you're going to miss out on a lot of things that he has to complete the whole picture. So to review really quickly this morning, if you've missed this out, I would encourage you to go back, maybe listen to some of these messages because it'll give you context. But we've talked about the difference between change and transition. Change is when your circumstances suddenly become different. Transition is the process we go through to navigate. Change is fast. Transition is slow. Transitions are important. Just think about this even in the realm of sports. If you're a basketball fan, you know you've heard the announcer say they scored in transition. So a lot of times somebody intercepts the ball or they, they get a, you know, they somehow they steal the ball and they go in for the other team's basket. And a lot of points are scored in transition. You think about it in football. Special teams are transition teams. It's so when you punt the ball from one team to the other, exciting things can happen. Or the kickoffs or things like that. Security companies are all about transition when they go into a building to figure out where they're going to put their different security systems it's usually doors or windows or any other access points into the building because they know that those points of transition is usually the areas that need to be secured there's three phases of transition there's an ending a neutral zone and a new beginning and whenever you go through this you go through all of those phases The last couple of weeks prior to this, we looked at the endings. We talked about why they're important, how they affect us, how we can redeem them for good, and then how we can help each other as we go through life, helping people go through endings. And if you remember, we actually symbolically marked, gave an opportunity to mark an ending or a loss that we may have experienced in our lives. And so these jars, and then we've taken and we've kind of started to fill a bigger jar so we can visually see. I carried this thing up here this morning, and it's pretty heavy. And it kind of dawned on me that it's like I am literally carrying the endings of our church up onto this stage. And it was kind of a burden even just to kind of think about the weight that's involved when we lose things. So this morning, we're going to look at the neutral zone, and we're going to take a deep dive into it in three different areas. What is it? What are the dangers and the opportunities in it? And how can we prevail? Not just survive, but actually thrive in those seasons of the neutral zone. So here's what a neutral zone is. The reality is most languages don't have a name for this experience. It's known as a nowhere between two somewheres. It's that place between what's ended and what's about to begin. It's the unknown and dangerous place between here and there. The neutral zone is the unavoidable wilderness experience that every transition requires without a defined script, formula, or timeline for how long it'll take. And like a trapeze artist, you hang suspended between what was and what will be where forward motion seems to kind of stop. You ever been there? You left what's familiar, but you have not yet grabbed on to what's next. It's a season in which neither the old ways nor the new ways really work satisfactorily yet. Everything's in flux. Nothing is a given. Anything could happen. There's more questions than answers, and you're just sort of in it. And because of this, neutral zones are often marked with tension, with frustration, with impatience. It's a time when our identity oftentimes is changing from what was to what will be. Neutral zones are synonymous in Scripture. It does give a word for it. It's called the wilderness, or it's called the desert, neither of which are real great words to be wanting to kind of dive into, and yet it's a big part of life. It's interesting because the Greek word for wilderness is a word called eramos, and it's used 50 times in the New Testament alone. And it means solitary, lonely, and desolate. A lot of us just want to get up and go home right now because it's like, why would we be talking about something that's lonely, solitary, and desolate? And yet you look in the scriptures and the wilderness is part of almost every single person's life in some form. We see it with Moses, the story we've been looking at. In Exodus 15, it says, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea. They went out into the wilderness. John the Baptist, the guy who announced Jesus as the Savior, as the Messiah who is coming, it says, The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Jesus had a wilderness experience. Before he went public with his ministry, it says Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And then there's Paul. And we know the story of Paul who is persecuting the church, killing Christians. And then he becomes one on the road to Damascus. And ironically, his eyes were blinded and then he could see. But what's interesting is Galatians records, but when God was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up into Jerusalem. There was a three-year gap of kind of a wilderness for Paul to become ready for what God had for him. God puts us in the wilderness to strip us of our self-reliance and address the strongholds that hinder our faith. The wilderness is not meant to harm us, even sometimes it feels like it, but rather to develop us to where God wants to take us next. So, what are some of the dangers involved and the opportunities involved in the neutral zone? Well, because it's a season that's hard and confusing, it almost always leads people either to a breakdown or a breakthrough, or sometimes both. We see this graph on the next slide that kind of walks through this journey. And once you get into the neutral zone, it's full of a lot of confusion. You get disoriented, you get frustrated, you get skeptical, perhaps. But at the same time, it's an opportunity to be creative and innovative, explorative, collaborative. And so when you look at the two lists, the dangers, and I love the fact when we're talking about the dangers of the neutral zone, it reminds me of the Top Gun song, right? Highway to the danger zone, the neutral zone. But when we think about this, anxiety rises and motivation tends to fall. Fear takes over. We also see a danger is that we lose heart and we disengage. We lose interest. We disconnect. We become less reliable. In some cases, we become angry and we can't get past it. We also see old weaknesses reemerge. The cracks in our armor begin to expand. We become inward focused and self-protective. We see people become polarized in neutral zone experiences. Some, Some people rush forward and some people kind of go back into the old ways and you begin to see this divide. And if we're not careful, it can become a very chaotic and divisive experience. And we see fruitfulness hampered in the neutral zone sometimes just because we become tired and despondent and less productive. We stop being a force for good and we give in to all of the threats that are around us. So those are a few of the dangers of the neutral zone, but there's also opportunities. And just really quickly, it starts with remembering your why. Why are you in this? What are you aiming for next? Our why serves as an outgrowth of our beliefs, of our values, of our actions. And we all have a why. Sometimes we just forget what it is. There's an opportunity to pursue personal growth that's unmatched in any other season of life than when you're in the neutral zone. Why? Because everything is in kind of an upheaval. You don't really know even what's going on. And so it's an opportunity to lean in to accelerate your learning and development as a person. You can form deeper connections in the neutral zone. It's an isolating and a lonely place. We need each other, whether you're going on something alone, by yourself, in your own life, or you're doing something collectively as a group, we need each other. What I love about the opportunities in the neutral zone is it gives you a platform to innovate, to be creative, to experiment, to try something different. Because what do you have to lose, right? The old is done. We're in this season of trying to figure out what's next. And then finally, it puts us in a place personally where we can explore a whole new level of surrender where we look at the authority of God who frees us from the burden of self-reliance so that we can trust him at a deeper level. So, that's a quick overview of some of the challenges, some of the opportunities in the danger zone. What's the key to prevail? How do we not just survive them, but how do we thrive when we find ourselves in them? So we have been looking at this story in Exodus. The Exodus of the Israelites, from Egypt into the promised land. Their ending was freedom from slavery under the Egyptian control. Their new beginning, where they were headed to, was the promised land in Canaan. And their neutral zone was the wilderness experience to go from where they were to where God wanted to take them. The Exodus story is a parallel story to the gospel. It starts with deliverance from slavery, It continues with development in the wilderness, which prepares us for fulfilling our destiny, God's purpose for us in history. Deliverance, development, destiny. It's the same movement that God does in our lives. We've been delivered from sin and death when we trust Christ. We are developing our faith and fruitfulness as we follow Jesus so that he can lead us ultimately to the destiny that he has for each of us in this world as he guides us for this point in time. So in Numbers 13, under Moses' leadership, the Israelites have been traveling through this wilderness experience. This map kind of shows a picture of what this could have looked like, and they are on the verge of entering the promised land. The map shows the journey, and the blue arrow shows where we're going to pick the story up. So they've been at this for a little while. Now, ironically, technically, it should have taken 11 days to go from Egypt into Canaan. If you just did a straight shot, that's about what we're talking about. They took a little longer route, and they get here, and we're going to read what happens. They're on the verge of Canaan, which is just to the north. This is their destiny. This is God's place and purpose for this group of people at this point in history. And here's what it says. It says the Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So we're talking about 12 tribes. So there's 12 guys that are chosen. We know the two are Caleb and Joshua, and the other ones are listed in scripture if you're interested. But now where the blue arrow is, this is the journey these spies are going to take to scout out the land. This is what they've been dreaming about, what they've been wanting for, what they've been praying for, for a long, long time. And so Moses goes on, and he has the people, and he's, and he's, he's got the spies in front of him, and here's what he says. Go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. The Negev was a desert area. See what the land is like, whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or are they fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land, for this was the season of the first ripe grapes. So this is their instructions. These 12 guys are going to venture into this new, unexplored land, and they're just going to check it out. And ironically, as they go, that whole distance is about 150 miles. We're going to learn how long it took and what they did along the way. So here's what it continues to say. So they went up and they explored the land from the desert of Zin down on the bottom as far as Rehob, which is clear at the top. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron where the descendants of Anak lived. When they reached the valley of Eshkol, they, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole along with some pomegranates and figs. So this is unusual. You go to the grocery store and you get your grapes. You usually don't need a pole to haul it to your car. It says at the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. So they were gone 40 days. So imagine these 12 coming back, and they are ragged, they are tired, they're dirty, and but a couple of them have this pole on their shoulder with this giant group of grapes, and they come rolling into camp. And Moses had assembled everybody, and we're talking like lots and lots of people. And it's time for the report. They've explored, they're coming back. Now just to show you, this picture of these grapes is actually from this area in modern day. They grow grapes like no other place on the planet. So imagine carrying something like that through the desert on the way back for mile after mile. Here's what it tells us. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and they showed them the fruit of the land. Oh yes, they did. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is the fruit. So imagine the response of the people when they see this. It's like, holy cow, let's go, right? And now we encounter our first but. But the people, the spies continue to say, but the people who live there are powerful. The cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites The Jebusites and the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. So everywhere they went, there was already people established. And suddenly you see the tone of this speech shifting a little. The tone of the report now has a lot of big eyes in the audience and a lot of fear starting to creep up because they had heard rumors about these kinds of people. You're going to find out about what they were like here in a minute. But it's in this moment that Caleb steps up and he says, he silenced the people before Moses and he said, we should go. We should go. We should go up and take possession of this land for we can certainly do it. Caleb is a voice that's in the minority, but he is seeing something that the others aren't and he's not afraid to vocalize it. And now we see our second but. But the men who had gone up with him grabbed the mic and they stepped up and they said, we can't. We can't attack those people for they're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. And then they said the line that was sort of like the line of the speech. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. Ten spies only saw the problem. But Caleb and Joshua had the faith to see the promise in front of the problem. Here's where we face the greatest danger of our neutral zone experiences in life, and that is the danger of grasshopper thinking. Grasshopper thinking. It's when you allow your identity and your destiny to be defined by the problem, not the promise. It's when you limit your perspective to the size of the problem that you face rather than the spiritual promise that God has made. Just to drive this home... Let me put it as a rhyme, okay? When what you see is all you see, then that will become your reality. When what you see is all you see, that will become your reality. The Israelites are on the verge of experiencing this massive gift that God has prepared for them in this new land. And then they hear the spies. And it says, we saw the Nephilim there. The Nephilim were large, giant people. You can read more about it in Genesis. It's fascinating. This is where Goliath came from. These are big, strong people. And it says, We seem like grasshopper in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. Their perspective was limited by what they saw. The giants got bigger, and they got smaller. In our culture, and a lot of times in our neutral zone experiences, it almost feels like they're symbolically controlled by the Nephilim. Anti-God giants. Big, powerful forces that seem to be calling the shots and defining the reality. And if that's all we choose to see, then we won't see all there is to be seen. Because there's something more behind it. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we look the same to them. Not only does grasshopper thinking change how we view us, but it affects how other people view us as well. And in a world that's desperate for hope in our culture, the last thing our world needs is a bunch of Christian grasshoppers. We need to step into the identity and the destiny that God has called us to. So let me just, with your permission, let me just speak a little truth. You are not a grasshopper. You are a child of God, made in his divine image with infinite value and worth. You are not a grasshopper. You are his workmanship, seen and known and loved unconditionally, regardless of whatever you have done in your past. Jesus left 99 to rescue you. He pursued you because he desperately wants a relationship, a personal interaction on a regular basis with you. He knows your name. Jesus gave his life so you and I could have peace with God and peace with ourselves. If the, if the world ever needed a reason to, to look at Jesus, it's this idea of there is peace there. He's the prince of peace. In a world crazy full of anxiety, we can find peace. You are not a grasshopper. You are a son and a daughter of the Most High King. You are delivered, you are in development, and you're being directed toward your destiny. We have to remember at times that God's promises are not detached from the world's problems. They go hand in hand. It's the problems that actually make the promises come to life. So out of the 12 spies... Ten let the problem define them. Ten said we can't. Ten viewed their circumstance through the world's lenses. But two saw the promise. Two said we can. Two had kingdom lenses to see God's kingdom vision. Prevailing in our neutral zone experiences is all about trust. It's about fixing our eyes on Jesus. The author and the perfecter of what? Our faith. There's a reason Jesus invites us to look to Him, because He knows just how weak we are. So after the Israelites heard this report, they took a vote on God's will, and He led them. Now let me just kind of share a little secret. I know we're, we're you know, there's an election on Tuesday, but here's one thing that that might be helpful for us, helpful for us. You don't vote on God's will. The majority does not rule with God. When God makes a promise, we're called to follow him if we want to see his power at work. So, we watch this happen as the report comes in, and now watch the response. This is just really interesting. They heard this report, and it tells us, as the story continues, that night... All the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, the neutral zone. Why is the Lord bringing us up to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Yeah, they said, And so they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back. And this is all happening at night with oftentimes when it gets dark, all of our problems are magnified. You lay on your bed at night and everything is worse than it actually is, right? It's a very common experience. And then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole assembly. And Joshua and Caleb tore their clothes and said, the land we passed through And explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey. He will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us, so don't be afraid of them. That's an inspiring talk, right? That's an inspire thing that Caleb and Joshua stepped up and redirected and helped them try to see the promise in the midst of the problem. You know how it landed? But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Now let me just paraphrase the next nine verses in the story, okay? Moses goes to God and has it out with God, by interceding for this group of people that God was done with. And Moses is kind of pleading, Lord, please just forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Please step in here. It will be for your glory in the end. And and Moses is like all night long just trying trying to bring some peace to this. And eventually, God himself agrees. And here's what we read. In 19, it says, In accordance with your great love, Forgive the sin of these people, just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. So this is Moses talking to God. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them. Despite over and over and over, I have forgiven them. Just as you asked, but nevertheless, here's where the consequence is, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you 20 years old or more who has grumbled against me, not one of you will enter the land except Caleb and Joshua. Now remember earlier, they wished they, had, they, wished they were dead in the desert. They wished they were dead in the wilderness. They wished they could go back to Egypt. Before you start pointing the finger at, well, how could God do such a thing? He's granting their desire. He's granting what they really want in their hearts. For the sins, or I'm sorry, for 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will surely do these things to this whole wicked community which has banded together against me. They will meet their end in this wilderness. This is heavy stuff. This is hard to read. This is hard to begin to absorb in a world that doesn't like to have these kinds of conversations. But there's a lot more going on in this story than we will ever realize because we weren't there. Neutral zones, these wilderness experiences are not to be taken lightly. We talked about it being a time of development. God wants to develop each of us because he's got something next for each of us. That's our destiny. For such a time as this, God is calling us into this next season. But usually before we get there, there's a, there's a preparation process. There's a development process where he wants to strip us of anything where we're self-reliant and get our eyes completely focused on, God, whatever you want, I'm in. The neutral zone of transition is a holy opportunity for spiritual transformation. So as we close this morning, let me just ask you, today in your neutral zone, what do you see? Just the problems? Or do you see the promises in front of the problem? Do you see just the giants? Or do you see Jehovah Jireh, God the provider? How are you viewing yourself today? Is it like a grasshopper? Or is it like a chosen child of God? Is it like a grasshopper? Or is it like the light of the world? ready to shine wherever you go because you have the light of life of Jesus himself living in you in a dark world that is desperate for hope. We have been delivered. We are being developed. And God wants to lead us into our destiny for such a time as this. So whatever neutral zone you may be in, whether it's individually or collectively, We're called to look to Jesus, to fix our eyes on him, the author and perfecter of our faith. That's what pleases God. So this morning as we close in prayer, I just want to invite us to just come with open hands, whatever it is that we're carrying or we're dealing with, and just focus the key to prevail in the neutral zone is very simple. It's trust. It's trust. Let's pray. God, as we Close this portion of this morning. We don't want to miss this moment. This is a moment where perhaps there's some special business you want to do in our hearts, in our minds. And Lord, whatever it is we walked in here with today, I just pray that you would meet us in it, that you would bring deliverance, that you would continue to develop in us so that you can lead us to that future destiny that you've called us to, not just heaven but our purpose here on earth. Lord, our world desperately needs you. And we just pray that we can be a part of your kingdom advancing as a result. If any of us need to say yes to you fresh, yes to you maybe for the first time, God, we invite you just to come into our life. Meet us in our neutral zone today and bring us your hope and your forgiveness and your new life. We love you. We commit ourselves to you. We ask, God, that you would just build our faith through it. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.